0: Hi, Lovey. Welcome to the Coming Out Gold Podcast. I'm Coach Tammy, a life coach and strategist determined to encourage, empower, and equip women so they can live the lives they were meant to live before the world told them they weren't enough. Once you shake off the sack of shoulds you've been handed, you'll be ready to embark on a journey where you start creating the life of your dreams. It's time for you to step into your power, break up with false narratives, and learn how to come out gold. And I'll be here to walk with you every step of the way. Welcome back to the third installment in my series called Conversations with Girlfriends. Today, I chat with my friend, Marie Hanneman. She is the host of the My Side of the Street podcast and owner of 620, a sober living home in Hemet, California. She is also another one of my wonder women. Marie shares her struggle with addiction and mental illness and how these have impacted her friendships. We share laughter and tears as we dive into our chat. Let's drop into our conversation with my friend, Marie. Welcome to the podcast today, Marie. Thank you. Glad to be here. Tell my listeners how we know each other and a little bit about you.
1: Okay. We took a course together called Made to Do This by Kathy Heller two years ago now. My goodness, almost or, Crazy, yes, two years ago, and we were put into an accountability group together. And uh, God blessed me with this amazing group that Tammy seems to be the spearhead, she's like the organizer of us, which I'm so yeah. grateful for. And um, and honestly, and I think you remember this one of the very first meetings that we had, I remember saying, I have no idea how I'm going to work with you, Tammy, but I dig you and i'm gonna find a way to work with you and i just immediately was drawn to your personality your humor cracks me up and (laughs) also there is parts of our our stories that um mirror each other a little bit and so we had an extra connection there and that's how we met and we've been meeting every other week ever since
0: yes you're one of my wonder women which is just the best group ever. Like I will always say that price for the course was worth our group for sure. Yes. Any day of the week. So now tell my listeners what you do right now, like what your business is, who you are, where you are. I have a podcast myself called My Side
1: of the Street and I've had it for um, a little over a year and a quarter. And uh, its basis is talking about how I clean up my wounds, how I clean up my behaviors and um, the different practitioners I work with and the different modalities I use to learn about myself. Um, And that's called My Side of the Street. I'm not sure if I mentioned that, but, um, and then I also own a sober living home, a woman's sober living home in Southern California. And, I just opened
0: that last December and I, I run that. It's amazing. So part of our conversation today is really just talking about friendships and how we as women navigate friendships in light of different challenges. And the reason I want you on is because you've navigated um, and you're open about this, uh, your, your friendships in light of addiction and in mental illness. So let's talk a little bit about that today. In my last episode, when I talked with my friend, Jenny, about divorce, we talked about how there's this before group of friends and an after group of friends. And I wondered if you had that same experience dealing with addiction and mental health.
1: I will say I have it much less than I think the average Joe or Joanna, however you want to talk (laughs) about that, Um, has it. I I tend to be a a all-inclusive kind of person, like my friends know almost all my family members my family members know my friends like i have i just always that's how my friendships have always looked Mm -hmm. that's how i've operated in them and so um and i think that my addiction story is um a more quote unquote and i'm totally air quoting this uh, functional addiction so there was less of my life that fell apart than, let's say another person that might be sharing their story so so I was able to not I worked really hard not to step on people not to allow my addiction to seep into other people's lives heavily that was something that was a huge priority for me and because of that I've been able to for the most part maintain the relationships that I had prior to sobriety after sobriety And in terms of my mental health, um, I did lose one or two friends or we drifted apart or misunderstood each other with that, but not both things, the addiction and my mental health have shifted some relationships, but not a great many, I'll say.
0: That's interesting. So do you think that that's not the norm? like most I, other, I did Yeah. I yeah. would say so too, because again, like, again, I know it's a TV show, but I watched that show intervention and yeah. there's just such carnage. I mean, that's the only way I can describe yes. it as carnage.
1: No. And, and, and in, in recovery, we
0: call it the wreckage of our past. Mm-hmm. So that those are that's the, the words we put to it. Do you think your addiction came first or your mental illness came first, or did they come as a package duo? That is a great chicken before the
1: egg question. I mean, literally, there are parts of my mental illness that I recognize from early childhood on, but not to the extreme that happened to me when I was uh, in 2010, when I was 38. So there was a specific day that it happened that I broke. Uh, March 3rd, 2010, and that is is very specific, it was very definite, and I can now in hindsight see some things leading up to that, and I think that my, um, I have some sexual abuse in my childhood, and I believe that my alcoholism and addiction started pretty much right after that happened, when you look at the timeline like literally it was fourth grade and sixth grade. I started drinking as a solution. So I think that it was all coming and the way I lived my life, including my addictions lent to me breaking.
0: Yeah. I think it's, I've had the pleasure of interviewing you for your podcast, for your own podcast. So I was able to hear a lot of the nuances and the the complexities of your entire story. And I don't know that I've ever, and again, I realize like an intervention is a TV show, but having mental illness that runs in my own family, as well as addictive personalities, I, I have experienced those things as well. I don't know that I've ever seen anyone manage their addiction so well, which it sounds crazy. And like, counterproductive for me to be like are you actually saying she managed her addiction but you you did
1: yes I did and yes there was a wreckage of my past and there was damage done but I do have to say and most people who speak with me or have experienced me will say that it it was minimal in fact my brother the other day I was talking about How many days sober I have, and me before sobriety and me after, because that's that's the terminology that you use in recovery. Right. And he goes, You know, you weren't an asshole before you got sober, Marie. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, What? He goes, Well, I get that that's how people talk. And probably a lot of people were assholes. But just so you know, you're a pretty cool person, even in your addiction. And I, I think that that's, more rare than common. Agreed. Yeah. I think there's I, beauty in the person, but I think their addiction takes over
0: more fully. Right. I think that it probably helped you not to leave so much destruction and have so much of an extreme in the before and after kind of friendships because right. <laughs> as your brother said, you weren't an asshole. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so
1: yeah, it was so funny because I, I didn't I don't hear myself you know? And he was just like, "Uh, could you just recognize that you were not an asshole before you got sober? I'm like, Oh, okay. (laughs) Okay.
0: Sure. Sure. Sure, I don't remember, but yeah, I'll believe it. (laughs) You also come from a good Catholic family. So there's seven of you. So now that everybody's an adult and your break, your mental health break was as an adult. So everybody in your family was an adult because you were the baby. How did that impact the friendships you had with your siblings? I will say that I think
1: that I have behaved from day one with my family in a very codependent manner. I've been desperate for that connection and have glorified uh, the family. I did that a lot. And I also took on the responsibility of maintaining all those connections. So the mental break for me was really in a huge way, born out of stress. I I carried the weight of the world on my shoulders. Like literally I thought I was responsible for everything.
0: Right. Been there, got that.
1: Yeah. And me with my break, what happened to me when I, on March 3rd, 2010 is I literally, started crying in a doctor's office and didn't stop, was bawling. And my doctor called my husband and said, she can't drive. She can't, something's wrong. And I regressed massively. Like I was like a little kid. I had no capacity for any responsibility. I was a a corporate staff accountant. I lost all my math skills in a day like that. So it, it, it really created a separation I mean, they didn't really know what was going on. My mom and dad did because my ex-husband called them in for help. Again, my mom and dad are not real big talkers. You know, they have seven kids, but like one person might know something about them and the other five don't, you know, it's kind of an interesting dynamic. So I don't think that they really understood what was happening, but it did create a break between heavy involvement and what I was capable of now. And I think that that was a first step for me in becoming more independent and less enmeshed,
0: which really actually turned out to be healthy for me. Sure. So, uh, having struggled with codependency problems myself, how in your healing have you learned to be friends with other people without the codependency becoming the most, I just kind of call it the fallback, right? Like it's just, it's easy to fall right back into that role.
1: Yes, it is. I didn't learn it right away after my breakdown. I I learned it kind of like peeling back an onion. I learned it in layers over time. I learned in falling apart that the world didn't fall apart with me. That was big. I think subconsciously I thought I would I always had these balls in the air and I thought if I let one go, oh my gosh, what's going to happen, you know? And and right. Yes, it was Uh, an inconvenience and an oddity for my immediate family and my parents came up and helped and it was hard for them to see it, but the world did not fall apart. So that alone gave me perspective more than I had, but I still was married to my high school sweetheart. So the only relationship I had in my adult life romantically was this man and You know, when you're in a relationship, even if I'm healing to a certain extent, the relationship still has a draw to pull you right back into old habit. Yes. And, and that was still very codependent. So I think I learned a little, had got a little perspective, but not completely, you know, took me another 10 years really.
0: Yeah. I mean, let's be yeah. honest. The the journey to find freedom from codependency, it is a long and slow road. It just is. It,
1: it yeah. really is. And in fact, when I was in treatment for uh, addiction and alcoholism, we had to write a letter to say goodbye to our addictions, to what we were specifically addicted to. So I wrote a letter to say goodbye to alcoholism. I wrote a letter to say goodbye to methamphetamines. And I wrote a letter to say goodbye to codependency. And I called it a really slick bitch in my lover. I was like, you are a sneaky, slick bitch. And, and I called it out because it, I really felt like it had distorted my own view for my entire life.
0: Yes. And
1: I had to relearn how to see the world in, in a clearer way.
0: Yeah. I think in part two, the beginning stages of codependency, the kind of wooing, as I call it, right? Those are, a lot of those things are normal and healthy in any kind of relationship. Absolutely. You don't realize you're tumbling down the hill until it's too late. And, And like, you're like, wait a minute, I was trying not to do this again. And here I am.
1: Yeah. And honestly, my husband, my ex-husband came from a family that was like that. My family's a bit like that. We put us together and we our our codependencies fit right into each other. We felt familiar to each other and we also annoyed the hell out of each other. So, you know.
0: Right. Now, how about relationships with girlfriends during this time that aren't family, like outside family? How did that, how did you navigate the addiction and the mental health and getting well? How did that navigate through your friendships? Because I do know you've got a strong group of female friends in your life.
1: I really do. I had moved from Marietta, California to Bakersfield, California, two years before my breakdown. That separated me a little bit from my very, very close friends in the Marietta area. My best friend in the whole world lived eight miles from me or something like that. And I'd known her since I was an infant. Seriously we grew up on the same street we were very very close and when i moved to bakersfield that separated us a little not tremendously but a little and i think honestly looking back that it separated me enough that i was able to fall apart i think the way i balanced myself was like through seeing what i was in light of other people which is a totally codependent way to behave but as long as I was really connected to someone, I didn't feel like I was losing myself. Right. And I think moving to Bakersfield separated me enough. And I had great friends in Bakersfield too. I had incredible girlfriends. In fact, one of my very best friends still lives in Bakersfield and I still talk to her, but it was different. It it was um, not as a mesh. Like with my girlfriend, Cammy, We we were in each other's kids' lives. I mean, it was, it, we were absolutely best friends. So I think the physical distance gave me the room to fall apart and to be
0: lost in myself. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. It does. Yeah. I think it, again, sometimes you need physical distance to get a little perspective.
1: Yes. And I think it gave me the, the pause enough to just throw my hands in the air not literally, but you know, say (laughs) uncle, I give up. I, I, I don't know how to continue.
0: Yeah. Now, because I always say the person that's in a relationship with someone who's codependent, they're, they're getting payoffs from being in that relationship with you. So when you get out and you're a better person and you're different and you've changed and you've grown and you've done your healing work, are you still able to be in friendships with them? Or is there a period of like renegotiating actually is probably the better word to put it. Like where you're renegotiating your friendship.
1: Yes, there is that. And with my mental illness, I didn't have the ability to show up for anyone. I was barely showing up for myself. Right. But she was, all of my friends were very supportive from a distance because I mean, we were, you know, three or four hours apart from each other distance wise. So that was just the fact of it. But I will say that with my addiction, that shift was more difficult on that relationship. In fact, I'm I'm literally on the verge of tears right now. I see it. I love her so much. My best friend from childhood. And I know she loves me. And I'm sure if we were to talk, it would be like nothing ever happened in between. Honestly, right. we used to finish each other's sentences. In fact, just the other day, I haven't even spoke to her probably in six months. And I sent her a message on Messenger. I thought she had gotten that message and then texted me. She hadn't even seen the message I sent her and she happened to text me.
0: Oh, I love that.
1: We we just have that with each other. We mm-hmm. We connect like that. There's there's a connection there that is undeniable. But me not drinking anymore and me not being involved in anything like that has um first of all, she moved right around the same time too. So she's creating a new life and, and more of a retirement life with her husband in northern Idaho, a good six hours from me. So that changed too. So sure. there's a lot of changes that happened, but I think that my sobriety is a big unknown for some of my friends. And um, they don't know how to be around me. And maybe I think we still have as much in common. I think people would say, well, maybe you don't have as much in common because, you know, you used to drink or whatever together. Right. But you know what? I think we would still have just as much in common. We really would. I just think time and place and circumstances has not allowed us to grow beyond what it was prior and so it's we don't know how to begin it but I know I'm in her heart all the time and I know she's in my heart all the time so I don't feel like I've lost that friendship I do feel like I miss the closeness
0: yeah do you think that because I'm a vegetarian and I experience which is so not like addiction but like when people want to eat meat. They get weird. Like they act like I'm going to like be, I don't know, weird. I would think that you have that same experience, especially when just like (laughs) I used to eat meat and now I don't, you used to drink. Now you don't. Do you find they're often more uncomfortable than you are with social situations?
1: I know she's uncomfortable
0: to a certain extent
1: because we haven't continued the closeness. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't feel that way when we're near each other. Right. And I think it's because we're just so familiar with each other that it never will feel completely odd to be in each other's presence. It just feels like home when we're together. It just is that way. And also I, I tend to be just fine. It doesn't matter how much distance is between me and whoever I'm in relationship with a lot of other people, if you're not in their physical space in, to some regard, it, 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 it's not, it's not their natural inclination to know how to connect. Yes. And I know that for a lot of people. And I think that for my particular girlfriend that I'm talking about, um, I think that's the case for her in, and I understand that about her and, and it's okay. I, I have a really good faith in the fact that there is no love loss there for sure. Like we are definitely as connected in the heart as we always have been. And when it's time, it's time. And when it's not, it's not.
0: Yeah. Definitely have missed that. Yeah. I mean, I've having moved twice, i and I talked about this on early podcasts. I definitely think that there are some people like out of sight, out of mind. Like it doesn't yeah. matter how much time you spent together before, if you're no right. longer in their circle of actual physical being, yeah. They you just kind of don't make their radar. And kind of like you said, it doesn't mean that they think badly about you or like right. don't care. But it's also they're not there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so there's loss. And I will say having never known you prior right? Let's celebrate your sobriety (laughs) number first and foremost. So let's celebrate that right now.
1: So I have three
0: years and three months sober. That's amazing. I wish I had one of those. Three months and two days. Woohoo! Two days. Like, do not skip on the two days. Right. They are very important. I wish I had one of those sound boards where like the crowd goes wild and all that just when you say your number, because that is something so tremendous to be proud of. Yes. Everyone, including those extra two days, like it is something so amazing to be proud of because in addiction, like I think you've, and I talked about this on your podcast, like there's you, most people relapse like seven times before they get and stay sober. So, I mean, three years, three months and two days is a lot of life you've got to enjoy and a lot of time you've got to heal. Yes. So, yeah. I mean, I only know you as an after friend. I'm definitely, we, the Wonder Women and I are after friends. Yes. And again, like, think about it though. I mean, you've only been sober three three years, three months and two days, and we've known each other two years. So you were fresh right. in your sobriety. I was very fresh. All, when we we bonded and became, you know. Yeah.
1: In fact, I, I had literally just come home from my three months of, of the mental health board and care when I, we started our cohort.
0: So we so were just fresh out of it. Yeah. Which do you think was harder to navigate healing from your addiction or your mental illness?
1: Wow. That's a really good question. They were both so
0: very different. Right. Sure. Sure. Cause one, you can choose to stop and one, you cannot choose to right. stop.
1: Yes. And I, I mean, I, I literally talked and behaved like a child when I had my breakdown and I was still married with kids in the house. So that's different too. I wasn't on my own. Wow. I will say that getting sober was harder, but I feel like my road to healthy and stable was longer coming from the breakdown.
0: I mean, I think both were hard fought battles. Yeah. You know, and you came out the other side. Do you feel that that wreckage of the past that you're that you talked about? Do you feel in this three years that you've like cleaned a lot of that up? That's interesting because um I don't know
1: how much your readers or your listeners, excuse me, understand about the steps. Right. So let me just do a really quick synopsis please. Step four and step eight are both really big steps. They all matter, but those are very big steps. I am currently on step eight for the very first time. Wow. Yeah.
0: So what is step eight? If you want to share? Well,
1: step four, let me tell you is an inventory. It's like a spreadsheet of everything and everyone who has irritated you or does irritate you or has wronged you in your entire life.
0: Okay. That's obviously not exclusive to addiction because none of us would really want to sit down and make that spreadsheet. Right. And how it goes is you
1: put the incident or the person here on the left. And as you go through the spreadsheet, you explain, was it a sexual offense? Was it a Ego, like a a self-esteem offense. Was it a? There's like different categories, and then at the end you put your role in it. Right. I mean, that's like, who does that?
0: Right. Nobody wants to do that. Nobody wants to. Right. So because they offended you, so you want to talk about how they offended you, not what part you played in it. Right. But you do both in that one. Okay.
1: Right. And then step eight you begin to make amends for the wreckage you created. I um, was very nervous to do step four, very willing, but very nervous. Sure. It took me almost two months at least to do it. But when I did it, I felt like, I don't even know how to explain to you the, it was like living in a different world, literally. Wow. The freedom gained from doing that was phenomenal and unexplainable. I've done step four twice because I had a sponsor. We worked through step five and then she wasn't doing well. And then after a while, I got a new sponsor and we started in step one. So I've done step four twice now, both times. Amazing feeling afterwards. I am now on step eight. And this means that I'm, I'm tangibly writing down all of the offenses I have made and how I might possibly make it up to the person, whether it's direct, a direct amends, like I come to you and I say, I'm sorry that I did this and I want to make it up to you. Or if that's not healthy to do, then you do a living amends where you behave in a way with others that counteracts the negative wreckage that you've created. Wow. And um, I'm scared for that but I'm also very willing, it, it's, it's just a really intense thing.
0: And I would really say vulnerable, intense. so very, vulnerable.
1: very vulnerable. And now it's one thing to talk about in step four, what's in my head and my experience. Right. Now I'm risking interacting with people I love. And bringing up maybe things they don't even know I did. Yikes! So, and then you have to make a decision. Okay, is this more harmful or helpful? Sure. If it's more harmful, then you don't go directly. You you do something that puts into the world good to counteract the negative. I'm I'm <laughs> I'm excited to be on the other end of it. Let me put it that way.
0: Right. Yeah. You're ready to be through it. Yeah. Be like, can I just skip it and go to nine?
1: I know, but, but you know what? They're, they're in order for a reason. They really like each one preps you for the next. Yes. And I don't even remember your original question to me for me to explain the steps, but it's, it's a lot. And I think it's, I don't think people even are aware of it. I mean, honestly, when I was drinking and an addict, I had no idea this whole other world existed.
0: Sure. No, idea. Why would you, you were focused on your own. Yeah. And your survival, and I think, I think as, if humans, if we, the 12 step program, I think regardless of you have an addiction or not, a lot of us could benefit for actually walking through the steps, right? Because I'll here's the thing, agree. you can be mother Teresa and, or the Pope or whatever great, fabulous person who you don't think makes mistakes and they will have still harmed people in their life unintentionally and yes. maybe intentionally. Because we're all human beings living a human experience. And I think the fact that, well, first I have to say, I know you well enough to know you're ready to do step eight, because you've done the work to know who you are and who you want to become. And so you're not that person anymore. So what you did, like you don't hold, you don't have to hold the weight of the shame for what you did because Absolutely. it's not who you are, right? So I think I think as you navigate those steps that you'll find freedom that you found in sure. step 4. You'll find that same freedom but it'll be on a deeper level because it'll be based on what you did, not what was yes. done to you. You know? Yes. And I think it won't be easy cuz like let's just be honest. Who wants to be like, "Hey, you know what? <laughs> I was a real jerk to you. So sorry." how can I fix it? No one on this planet just loves to admit that they were wrong, that they did something bad, you know, but to become whole healed people, we have to be willing to do that. Yes. Um, So I believe that you'll come out with better friendships for walking through that process.
1: I agree. And I also think that, that now, because I've worked all the other steps, right. I'm much more aware of, what my motives are versus what is beneficial to the person standing in front of me. Mm -hmm. And that is key to this step. It's absolutely imperative to be at that level of self-awareness because you'll just do more damage if you're not there. And, and it's time for me to really have faith in the relationships that I've rebuilt with my children, with, you know, others in my life that, that, I am at a point where I respect them enough and I check my motives on, on the regular to be able to have conversations and not create more damage, really just show my vulnerability and, and my willingness to, to be the best me I can. And, and when I'm not listen to that.
0: Yes, I think too, you couldn't have done this earlier because This involves boundaries upon boundaries upon boundaries, because like we said earlier, there were people who benefited from your codependency. There were people who benefited from how you were. You still wronged them. Yes. But you can't necessarily say, hey, person who gaslit and manipulated me, I'd like to tell you what a bad person I am. I'll tell you, I tried that when my marriage was imploding. (laughs) And let's just say. Yeah, that worked that great. So it's <laughs> it's much better that you are going to be coming from a place of strength and of clear yes. boundaries because you can't hand over the keys to someone who's not trustworthy with yeah. who you are now and for your vulnerabilities. You can't hand those keys over. And also you have to make amends for what you did wrong. Right. Whether, you, whether you're like, hey, manipulative gaslighter, I did this to you, or you're like, Oh, I did this to that person. Let me make it right in the world. I mean, honestly, right. <clears throat> I would much rather you change the way you move through the world so you don't ever do that to anybody else yes. again, than you go and apologize to the one person who benefited right. <clears throat> from your brokenness.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree with that wholeheartedly. I think that, I think that's the key to this step, really, and and I would not have been there before now. Right. And I'm actually really glad that it worked out that I had a sponsor and then had to rework the first four steps again, because every time it, you know, people work the steps repeatedly. You don't just work them once you work them, you take a break, then you go back and work them again, you know, things like that. And, and it is like peeling back an onion. You know, you can be only aware of what you're comfortable being aware of so far. And I think that I matured a
0: lot. In going through the first four steps twice. My therapist told me once, I love my therapist Scott Monday. Love him so much. His his name wasn't really Monday. That's just the day I saw him. And there were other Scots <laughs> in my life. So I just called mm. him Scott Monday. But he would say you heal to the level you're able to hold up under what you learn. And then you grow and get stronger. And then we're going to dig a little deeper. And then we grow and get stronger. And we keep going and we keep going till we get to the bottom of it all. And then we find full healing and restoration, which honestly, again, we're human people living a human experience. I don't know that we're ever fully healed and whole. And everybody's better. I think that we just can work to be our best self in the moment.
1: Absolutely. And another terminology that is used in recovery by addicts and alcoholics is progress, not perfection. Mm-hmm. If you strive for perfection, you will fail. If you right. strive for progress, you can celebrate every day.
0: Yes. You get to celebrate those two days, right? Those two yes, extra days. Like absolutely. You said. I'm, I'm going to celebrate those two days because they were big days. Yes. Yeah. And exactly. you and I were having a conversation prior to this and we were talking about when you're in it, you can't see all the things you have to celebrate. And when you yeah. start telling someone kind of what's going on in your life, And you're like, holy crap, I am kicking butt over here. Yeah. You know, and like you find there's so much to be proud of, but when you're in it, you're just doing the work of every day. Yes. And I think that I've watched you become a person who celebrates those wins even more so. Yes. Yeah, which is a beautiful thing. I
1: think I've always been a person who celebrates wins. I think I'm just better at recognizing
0: the wins.
1: Now I, I have less, less making me
0: wrong going on. Yeah. Less judgment for yourself for sure. Yes. For the those who haven't listened to me interviewing you and in your podcast, you and I've worked together as coach and client, and yes. I've had the privilege of watching you stop judging yourself and stop making yourself wrong for everything. Yeah. And I think that that is, I don't think you'd have been ready for step eight if you hadn't become a woman totally agree. who doesn't have to make yourself wrong for everything you do. I I
1: completely agree. The last six months have been phenomenally impacted with tons of growth in me personally. We started working together in Marchish. Yes, and and I I didn't even want. I wanted help with cleaning my room because it was my workspace and my living space. And it was a disaster in my mind. And I didn't even want to show it to you. I was so scared to show it to you. Right. Here I am paying you to be my coach (laughs) and I'm too ashamed to show you my bedroom, you know, and that person doesn't exist anymore.
0: Not in any way, shape or form. Yeah. You've just... You showed up, and you were vulnerable, and you asked for help, and we just walked it out together, yeah and and again, I think even if we were friends before we worked together, yeah, together. so and I think that that helped in a lot of ways. I, I think, think it our, really helped I think our Wonder women group, that we're all very different and we're in different yeah. seasons of life, different places around the world, we set a tone to just be honest and vulnerable and get just not bring the BS to the group. Yes, you know, and so I think it just created a space where we could each be seen and known a little better. Yeah, and I think it's helped all of us grow as humans.
1: And I, I think there's a really strong understanding between all of us that we really, truly want the best for each and every person in the group. Yes, that there's, there's really not any click. There's not any right. preferences. There's not, there's nothing like that. It, it, everyone shows up. And everyone shows up to support and love and do the work on their own with the yes. help of everyone else in the group. It, it's it's a pretty strong group.
0: I mean, really, yeah. honestly, that, what a blessing that was. I mean, honestly, to have six women that are come from all different walks of life, we don't have the same belief systems. Like it's very, we all have very different beliefs. Yes. And also we don't compete with each other. We don't at all. There's no competition. Like it is unheard of just because in our patriarchal society, women are pit against one another constantly. Right. And like, we just, we don't let that into the group. Not, it's
1: not even uh, there's not even a hint of it. I mean, honestly, we all celebrate each other equally. And, and even when one of us is getting down on ourselves, yes. the others in the group don't allow for that. They're like, Hey, yes, you're not seeing yourself clearly.
0: Right. Yeah. And I think honestly, that may be the one thing that's been most pivotal in our relationship as a group and our formation as a group, because we don't allow each other to talk bad about ourselves. (laughs) Right. We're like, uh, no, here's what we're not going to have today. That's not going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and
1: I think we're all very honest, too. I talk about friendships. I, I will tell you, this has been something my entire life that I, I am honest and sometimes I am brutally honest without any tact and I'm learning to be better about that. But even in our group, sometimes I'm like, okay, I'm just going to say it, you know, like, yes. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> I, I'm, yeah. I'm honestly so nervous to step on someone's toes because I don't really want to hurt anybody. But if I really want what's best, I have to share what I see, you know, right. and I want that back. Yes. And And no one's really ever gotten butthurt, I don't think. I think we've all taken everything everybody has to say as, okay, I'm going to consider that.
0: Yeah. And honestly, I think most of the time when we do to step back and consider it, we realize that that person kind of hit the nail on the head. Yeah.
1: And that we really
0: kind of already knew that. Right. We just weren't
1: ready to say it out loud
0: and deal with it head on. Right. We were all talking in the beginning of our friendship and Wonder Woman. We were all going to start podcasts. Like everybody's like, oh, I'm going to start yeah. a podcast and I'm going to start a podcast. But I am <laughs> a procrastinator in the into the disguise <laughs> of a perfectionist. That's really yeah. the truth. I pretend I'm a perfectionist, but it's really I'm a procrastinator because I don't like to be vulnerable. I'll tell you anything you want to know and be transparent, but I'm not going to be vulnerable right. because it's not safe and people kill you over it. So I'm not just trying to be vulnerable. But you were like, I'm gonna pay to have your first four podcasts edited, and I was like, "Oh, I can't take your gift because I don't, I don't take people's gifts. It's not a thing I All do." All these la 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 right? reasons, right? I give you 700 reasons why you can't offer to do that for me. I will not allow yeah. you to offer to do that for me, as if I somehow can control the way you want to move through your life. But you <laughs> did it because you knew if you offered, I would be obligated to do it. Yes. because I wouldn't dishonor our friendship or yes. disrespect to you by not showing up in the arena to do yep. it. Even though I was like, this is garbage. Everyone's going to hate it. I hate it. Set me on fire now. This is the worst thing I've ever done in my life. But I did, I recorded four. I sent them to your editor yep. and, and then it was done. I had a podcast. You, you got over that hurdle of putting yourself out there. Right. And I knew that that was what was
1: holding you back. And I, I was like, "Why don't you just say thank you, Tammy?" And you were like, <laughs> "Oh, <you know>?
0: yeah." <laughs> like, here,
1: just like, you. Out. And I also did say, "You know what? I don't care when you do it. Just know it's there." Yes. And I knew you and your integrity and your a little bit of guilt that I was helping you that you <laughs> would get on it, right? To honor our friendship, right. And so I, I didn't feel a need to say, well, if you do it this month, I'll pay for it. You know, it was like, nope, you do it when you're going to do it. Right. And I told my editor and she was like, okay, I'll wait until she shows up.
0: Yeah. And I think that that is the beauty of adult friendships. When you've done some work on yourself, you've had, everybody's had a little healing and you can. I don't think when like our childhood friendships, I don't think there develops a pattern of calling each other on it. Right. Yeah. And like pushing just a little bit in love, not with like a forklift, right. Just right. Pushing in love. And I think that that's the beauty of grown women being in a relationship to, to each other. Yeah. What a gift! And I wish so much that every w- woman could I- experience a group like ours because I do think it's special, and that there is no competition, there is no BS, no one's coming right. to the table pretending like there's something they're not.
1: Exactly, and we all have insecurities. Yes, and we all have things we're excited about and things we don't want to do. Right, and we just, you know, we really were heard. We're yeah. heard in those meetings. I mean, honestly, we were on that meeting Friday night for two hours and we didn't yeah. even make it to everybody. You we got on. We stayed
0: meeting. on. We went from 6.30 to 9.30 because Karen and Heather and I stayed on because we oh were my having God. deep conversations and stuff. I'm so and, glad you did because you deserved to be
1: heard. And and by the time I had to go, you hadn't been.
0: Yeah. And, and I think that that's just it always works out how it's supposed to work out as far as like who's on, who has to jump off. And it's just, I don't know. I just wish every group, I wish every woman could have a group of women like we have in our wonder women.
1: Yeah. And I, I have to say that I am very lucky because I have, I have a solid amount of groups like that. You do. And I think that that's not very common either. Agreed. I don't know why it is that I do but I have always taken my friendships very seriously. And I don't mean that other people don't. It's just, I have an easier time, no matter if there's distance or time between the connection. Yes. It, that, that doesn't seem to affect how I think of people at all, for whatever reason. And I don't know why it is that I have that inclination I just have an inclination to stay connected. And I think because of that, I have developed some really strong groups of women.
0: Yeah. I and think men, it's a gift. Yeah. I think it's a gift you have though, because I know for me personally, I want to be like in my friend's life. I want to be like in it. I want to be in the business. I want them to be in my business. And yeah. I struggle because of the false narratives that I write, right? Like, oh well. They don't return my text. They never try to call. I send presents. They never get acknowledged. So right. they must hate me. It's automatically from an A to Z. And so they yeah. must hate me. So I'm sure I've been a terrible friend to them and blah, 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 like a death spiral, right? And I think you just have this ability of going, yeah, we love each other. We just it, yeah, we just don't have time to spend together right now. And I'm like, no, you must like marriage great. Love me, choose me, pick me, you know, come <laughs> over here, jumping. Because of course, my core wound is not being wanted and not belonging. So yeah, I think you, I think you're not the norm or what did you call it earlier? Normies? Well, that's what addicts call people who are not addicts. (laughs) Yeah. So I think, I think you're not a normie in that (laughs) the way you've navigated mental health and addiction, it is not the norm for other people. I don't think that people stay in those deep relationships. I don't, I, I think there's more wreckage than you caused. And, you know, also I have
1: nothing on the fact that I'm an addict and nothing on the fact that I'm bipolar and schizophrenic. I, I really, for whatever reason, I have nothing on either of those. Like, I'm like, so I am. Yeah, it, it is. BFD, you know, yeah,
0: like. right. Yeah. You never hesitate and I, to share that.
1: Yeah, at all. In fact, probably people hear more about my experience in both those realms than they really are comfortable hearing about. To be honest, that's just always been the way I am too. I'm kind of like a, well, this is what's going on, you know. <laughs> T M Marie. Yeah, and I, but I think because of that, people feel like they can ask me anything,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and um, and because of that. I I am seen as more vulnerable yes. and that way people feel more vulnerable in my space, I think.
0: Agreed. I mean, I have to say that in the past few months of uh, starting to work outside my home, which I'll still say is stupid because shoes and bra, <laughs> um, I have been trying to be more open about that. Again, like if anybody asks me any question, I'll answer any question, but offering that up as you do is different. So there've been a lot of situations where people will say something and I was like, well, for me as a trauma survivor, that's not something I'm gonna participate in, you know, and things like that. And you can kind of see they're taken aback usually. Yeah. Cause they're like, oh, but I did it the other day at Trader Joe's of all places. And I don't even know what it was about, but I was like, yeah, I'm a trauma survivor. That's not gonna work for me. And he was like- I am so sorry, I am so sorry for you that you've had to endure trauma in your life. And right, I feel like it gives us the opportunity to connect with humanity, I, right? Yes. Because here's the thing, I'm not the only trauma survivor in the world and you're not the only addict in the world and you're not the right. only person with a mental illness. And when we yeah. show up as women brave enough to tell our truth, it gives right. other people permission to tell theirs. Absolutely. In fact, Marian
1: Williamson has a quote from The Course of Miracles. It's my favorite, favorite quote ever in life. And basically what it says is you question who are you to be great. And the the quote goes on to say, who are you not to show up as great? God, you are God manifested in a human body and everything you do allows others to do their best too you shine a light for others to strive towards. And when you play small, you are doing no one a favor. Right. And that's totally not the words, but it's the gist. And (laughs) I, the minute I read that it resonated so strongly with me and it was like 10 years ago, 15 years ago that I read that. I literally take that quote with me everywhere. It's like in every bedroom I've ever been in, I've ever stayed in, you know, it's, it's in my honesty home for 620 in Hemet. It is what calls me out to say uncomfortable things when I need to. Because as long as I'm being honest, other people have permission to be honest too.
0: Right. And as long as we keep it hidden, we allow shame to hold us down. Yes. And both are tragic. Yes. And both are a waste of time. Yes. Colossal, colossal waste of time. Yeah.
1: And what, what I'm not here to waste time. I mean, I, I struggle. Things are difficult for me, but I'm not about when I know better, I will do better period. And me sharing my story as honestly as I'm able to gives others so much more freedom with
0: their own issues. Right. Yeah, because they don't have to have an addiction problem or a mental health problem to see you step no. up to the plate and be vulnerable and it make room for them to do the same with whatever it is their struggle is. Exactly. I mean, Because their struggle could be infidelity in their marriage or, you know, some other kind of thing. It doesn't matter. Absolutely. Like, at the end of the day, it's I think whatever your struggle is, they often boil down to the same foundational problems. Yes. You know? We want to know we're loved, we want to know we're worthy, and we want to know we belong.
1: Yes, and that we're seen. Yes. You know, and I have to tell you that being this way has gotten me an extremely close relationship with my mother and father, more than a lot of my siblings. I did not know, many people did not know, that my dad was sexually abused. He never said it out loud until I started talking about my experience. And then he just, well, you know, that happened to me. And I swear, I do everything in my power not to totally go, I'm sorry, what? You know, like, like I I just breathe and relax and keep the atmosphere calm and let whatever comes out of his mouth come out of his mouth. And I have learned more about my father and my mother by being vulnerable with them than
0: I I ever dreamed of learning. And that's been a huge gift. For sure. I think that comes because not only are you willing to be vulnerable, you're willing to let them be whatever they need to be and it not be a judgment on who you are or how you're moving about the world. Right. And yeah. I mean that's a gift that we should all work to give one another. Yeah. Because everybody has their own crap, right? <laughs> Some people might just have like a weekend tote and some of us might have like an 18 wheeler, but exactly. everybody has crap. Everybody has yes. crap. And everybody
1: has concerns about being judged and everybody has concerns. We, that is a human condition, period. Mm-hmm. Yes. So the more we can normalize experiencing that in our own minds and in our own hearts, the easier it is
0: for all of us to release that burden. Yeah, for sure. Do you think you are a better friend now for the journey you've been on? Yes, hugely. Do you look for different things in friendship now than you looked for then? That's a yes and no. Sure, um, and also it's an and also as we say here. It it is. The gist of what I was
1: am looking for is the same, but the level to which I understand it and know how to be it myself as a friend is much grander than it's ever been so in turn i don't have time like if if people are going to be debbie downers not that they have trouble that i don't have a problem with that but they're just going to be negative Nancys always and always be talking about how it's not going to turn out i don't have time for that right because that's not the world i play in i play in a world of possibilities and I, I feel like that brings my spirit down. You know, yes, I get depressed and trust me, there's plenty of days where the world is not rosy. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about where people have an automatic reaction that the worst is always going to happen. Right. I don't have time for that. I also don't have time for anybody who's playing games. Mm. I really don't No, no time whatsoever. And I recognize it much faster. Yeah. And it really, they just kind of end up not gravitating towards me. It's really because they know you.
0: Yeah. I think they know you're going to spot their BS, right?
1: Yeah. I just be me. And they just, for whatever reason, don't gravitate my way.
0: Yeah. That's good for you. Alexandria, my daughter always says that if anybody's ever going to find themselves in a cult, it would be me because I'm just like, I'm sure they're great. Ted Bundy, great guy. Jeffrey Dahmer, he was, he helped me with my groceries. Like, yeah, I just yeah. The naivety sometimes is problematic, but yeah, yeah I do agree that I think that's the boundaries for me. That's been the biggest change. Oh, I, I will say that to you. And in
1: fact, between my mental breakdown and my sobriety, I got married a second, I got divorced and I got married a second time and the complete, I hope this is okay. The complete shit show that that marriage was, there are people who would say, I don't even know why you did that. That was the dumbest mistake you've ever made. And I'll tell you, that is a truth. And the truth is it gave me the gift of boundaries because for whatever reason, through that experience, I learned, I will never be in that position again. Right. And not like, a, Oh, I refuse to ever be in that more like, no, I see my worth. And that mm-hmm. person clearly does not. And I'm not playing in that field ever again. Yes, I will not play with people who don't see my value.
0: Yeah, I think that's definitely something we learn. Do you approach your friendships differently now as far as like what you invest in them? I will say I don't cast as big of a net as I used to. Mm-hmm.
1: I handled them the same, but I let things happen more organically than I used to.
0: Yeah, I think I approach them very differently now just because of the trauma. Like I was so broken and you and I've talked about it before that sometimes even in our best efforts we cut people with the shards of our brokenness the people we love most often sadly I think I'm a whole different person I don't think I move anyway and I but I also think yeah my tolerance for bs for me in particular tolerance for shallow friendships like I cannot tolerate like, hi, how are you? Would you oh like no, like, can we talk about real stuff? Cause if we can't talk about real stuff, I can't give you my time. And that may sound terrible, but I don't it need to be. It? Because friend. everybody
1: gets to choose
0: what they have in their life.
1: Right. And if that is your priority, that that's what you should experience. Yeah. So I just, I just I'm learning to just be me and that organically things show up that work for me and organically yeah. the things that don't don't hang
0: around very long yeah i mean i wish my circle was bigger my net was bigger but i'm thrilled but peace of mind here. is more yeah.
1: important than that yeah yeah I'm so you really do. Are here and you learn from from being burnt and
0: broken that let's take the flow right yeah for sure I just, I know I have benefited so much from our relationship and for you being in my life. You are an example of a woman who's with. I think that's the best word that I could use, that you are with others. And that's a gift that whether it was just your nature or your nurture or the healing work that I've seen you do, because you have really, you have busted your behind focusing on your healing since I've known you. And I just I'm so thankful that you're in my life. I mean, I wouldn't have a flipping podcast right now because I'd still be over there going, oh no, this one's terrible, let me do it. I don't like this graphic. I don't know if the color's right. Like, yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't even have a podcast now. So this is coming out bold as possible because you gave me that shove off the cliff that I needed. So well, I'll tell you, thank you. He,
1: those words and and the intention I know is behind them makes my heart very full. And don't like, you make I me cry or I'm already there. (laughs) At the very beginning, I knew I wanted to play with you. I knew you were someone that I respected and enjoyed. And I mean, I I really honestly knew in the very beginning that we would eventually get here. I just knew it. I just didn't know what it would look like because you are freaking hilarious. (laughs) You are so funny. And... And conversation flows so organically between us that it it just feels like home in a lot of ways. And I really, really appreciate it.
0: That is a gift. I hope that, I hope with all my clients, but also most importantly, my friends, is that I'm always, what matters to me is sanctuary, that I'm a safe place for you to exhale and be you. And you absolutely, without a doubt, are. Stop it, you're gonna make me cry. I don't want to cry I'm not gonna cry I'm not gonna cry
1: I don't think I would have grown as much as I have in the last six months if you were not that I think that being able to show up whoever I was however I was and you loving me and nudging me appropriately through that gave me the freedom to be a better version of myself
0: well that's a gift I mean we definitely navigated some mental health crises in some ways we definitely hit some rough spots and I think I I think for me like humor is humor is a coping tool that I use to navigate trauma but I think in some ways it kind of de-escalates the stress in a room right absolutely takes a little steam out of the whole thing and I get it I I now that I work outside the home I'm finding that it's not always appropriately placed (laughs) 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 however but I am really trying. Yeah. I just think that, you know, life is hard. Let's laugh at something. Oh, I'm telling you, my sister, she,
1: her bedroom's directly above mine and she, and you know how I have done a lot of work in my bed. Yes. Because Marie sometimes has a hard time getting out of her bed. Right. So she, she tells me, she goes, Marie, I know how you've handled all the trauma in your life. And I'm like, how? She goes, you laugh and you laugh a lot. And you laugh with everyone,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: she was, I think that that's what has kept you sane.
0: And yes. I said it is honestly, because she can hear me through the vents. Right, <laughs> she's right I, above me. <laughs> I mean, they say laughter's the best medicine, and they're not wrong.
1: They're not wrong.
0: They're not whoever wrong, they are. So. They're not. Wrong. Well, I don't. Yeah, I don't know them, but <laughs> they were. They they got that one right. There's other things I might question them on, but they got that one right. Yes, I agree wholeheartedly. Well, tell. I'm going to link it in the show notes and all, but I just am so thankful for you. I want people to listen to your podcast because it is so vulnerable and raw and honest. And again, just make space for other people. And by all means, listen to the one, both of them, because you and I've recorded two together, one talking about us working as clients and coach, and then one with me interviewing you for your podcast so that you could tell your story. We he-hauled through a lot of them. I mean, yes, there were tears in both of them probably, but we yeah laughing hard, so I agree. Yes. I want them to go listen to my side of the street, and I know that the work you're doing for six twenty you're going to revolutionize revolutional is that right? yeah, revolutionize revolutionize the addiction, recovery, sober living experience. I know that that is that's what you're going to do thank you for not
1: laughing at my
0: big goals (laughs) no way (laughs) laughing at them heck i'm like let's make a logo let's do this (laughs) flash man i'll definitely want to support it it's amazing you're doing good work thank you thank you And thanks for being on with me today
1: it was honestly my honor and and my enjoyment i i've got to hang out with you
0: (laughs) I know. It's the best. I mean, I wish we were across the table from each other, not in across the country from each other, but Hey, I'll take it. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, I'm going to go watch Christmas Hallmark movies. What are you going to do? I might go see ticket to paradise. Ah, I'm not sure. Looney, all the hard eyes. Mm. It will always be my number one, even though we both share a deep love for you, Jackman as well. Oh yes. Well, yes, we do. Yeah. Okay. Well, on that note, I love you. Love you too. And we will talk later. Thank you so much for listening to the Coming Out Gold podcast with me, Coach Tammy. I hope you enjoyed our time together today and learned something you can take action on to live a better story and that you will come back next week for another episode. As always, check out the show notes below for the links to my social media platforms, as well as the link to my website where you can check out the blog version of the podcast. If you're looking for a coach and are ready to make some real changes in your life, head to my website at rscoachandstrategist.com to book a free discovery call. And if you enjoyed this episode. Please consider leaving it a review and sharing it with friends on social. Be sure to tag me though so I can say thank you for helping grow our community here. Now go be the superhero of your own story because the world needs the awesomeness that only you bring. It's your time to come out gold.